Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 4 is over, but we're just getting started here on Game of Thrones Live on Post Show Recaps. And now, here they are. It's the Cooper and Darnell of podcasting. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Um, is it actually Darnell, or are you just making that up because you also couldn't understand what Bron had said? I watch it with the closed captioning on, so I'm pretty sure oh, that's what he wow. said. Darnell. Yeah. I guess I, I look more like a Darnell than a Cooper. <laughs> Wait, I thought I was Darnell. I thought you were Cooper. Oh, I'm Cooper and you're Darnell? Coop. Coop. Hey, Coop. Uh, I'll take it. Whichever one you want to do is fine with me. Okay. All right, here we go. It is time for our Game of Thrones post-show recap. And we had a doozy of an episode tonight, Josh. Oh, uh, it was a big one. Uh, it was a big one for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of reasons. Um, Sons of the Harpy. Uh, for a while there, kind of like uh, with last week's episode, wondering, why is this called Sons of the Harpy? There's so much other stuff. Like at one point, I was like, shouldn't this have been High Sparrow? Probably would have been more appropriate for this to be High Sparrow. Uh, but by the end of the episode, Sons of the Harpy, it fits. It fits. Uh, and it's, it's bad news for some of our guys. Very bad news indeed. Damn you filthy Sons of Harpies. You son of a Harpy. Son of a Harpies. Yeah, very sad. Very sad news for some people here in Marine. All right. A lot to get to here tonight on the Game of Thrones post-show recap. We've got the chat room open on postshowrecaps.com. We're taking your questions at hashtag PS Recaps and then also on our YouTube channel at postshowrecaps.com slash YouTube. So much to get to, Josh. And uh, from what I understand, it'll be a busy week on the feedback show and on the Game of Thrones book club. Yeah, I expect the Game of Thrones book club to be a big one. Uh, you know, people who have read the books and watched tonight's episode, I think, are going to have a lot to talk about. And we'll we'll touch on that in a in a as spoiler free a way as possible later in this podcast as well. Okay, so a lot to do here. Of course, if you want to subscribe to our Game of Thrones podcast feed, you can do that on iTunes at postshowrecaps.com slash got iTunes. And if at any point you want to get one of your questions in for our feedback show uh, this week, you can do that at game. Oh, I'm sorry postshowrecaps.com slash uh, voicemail and just go ahead and leave us a message or at got at postshowrecaps.com uh, and this week Antonio Mazzaro is going to be pinch hitting for me on the voicemail show oh man Antonio Antonio is going to have a lot of thoughts as well yeah I'm excited I'm excited to dig into this with Antonio. which is good because he's uh, actually uh, one of the sons of the harpies wait oh. <laughs> yes yes son now, of a harpy upstate New York makes a lot more sense now anyway I'm not supposed to talk about it on the air all right, there you go. All right, so uh, Josh, we got to start in Marine here, and uh, we have some casualties here to our crew. It looks like uh, Sir Barristan, Barristan the Bold, uh, his watch may have finally ended. His watch may have finally ended. What's the policy here, Rob, when it comes to talking about previews for the next week's episode? Do we do we talk about that here? I don't know that we've ever really crossed this bridge or not. I know we talk about it a lot on the Survivor podcast. There's some people that don't even want to watch the previews. I say here, uh, if you have something to say about the preview, just you know, plant your flag. I'm going to talk about the preview. If somebody doesn't want to hear about the preview, they can stick their fingers in their ears. They can turn the podcast off, God forbid. Uh, and do whatever for the next, say, 90 seconds or so. Sticking your fingers in your ear while you have like headphones on <laughs> seems difficult. But yeah, if, you could, if you could pull it off, if you could bigger ears than me. You could rupture uh, an eardrum that way, so we don't recommend it. Un unadvisable. But all right, so let me plant the flag. I want to talk about something from the preview very quickly, so we're just going to do that right away. Uh, looks like Barristan the Bold is straight up dead. Looks like, looks like Barristan uh, did not survive whatever happened to him here, getting, getting stabbed in the back and the chest. Uh, we see him 
on a slab in uh, the beginning of the preview for next week's episode. So yeah, pour one out for Barry the Bold uh, is now Barry the Dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. dead. Had a good boot episode. Had a good, you know, had a nice moment with Danny. Yeah, he got he got a uh, Obi Wan Kenobi man. It was it was tough. He gets to, he gets to look like a real badass in his final few moments of life. You know, we keep hearing about how Barristan is the is you know one of the most badass warriors in the Seven Kingdoms, but we don't see a ton of that. We've seen a little bit of it on the show. You know, sure. there was there was a great moment. You know, in his his first scene in season two when he reveals himself to Daenerys. That was really cool, um, but we don't see much of that on the show. But at least you know in his final scene that might have been season three, Josh. Was that season three? Season three. Ask well, before. The, that that would be that would be correct. So either way, you know, a little while ago, it 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 had been, it had been a minute. Um, but you know, poor poor Barristan did not work out well for him tonight. Um, and you know, the, the the moment that he is starting to kind of you know look back and you know think fondly of the past and his days with Rhaegar, you kind of start to think that maybe something's up. Yeah, uh, Alex Kidwell in the chat room is hashtag goodbye grandpa. Goodbye, Grandpa. Yeah, goodbye. Yeah, well, you know, back in the day, he was barrassed in the bold, but unfortunately, uh, at this point, he's uh, barrassed in the old. No, come on. No, no, no I, I, I can't. Soon. I can't. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Um, now, Josh, just I'm trying to wrap my head around. Danny has about 8,000 unsullied. Is that fair to say? Roughly. Somewhere ballpark figure, yeah. yeah. Oh, what the hell happened? Are, were they <laughs> off today? I, I mean, yeah, where are these of Sons of the Harpies coming from? This like underground movement and the Unsullied is the baddest fighting force in the right. East. Uh, how are the Sons of the Harpies able to take down even a group of 10 or 15 Unsullied? Well, I think we saw this a couple episodes that we've kind of finally uncovered the Unsullied's kryptonite, which seems to be prostitution. <laughs> they, lo- they like to go to the brothel. Uh, and that's how you like sneak on an unsullied and you kill him. And like, there was this scene tonight where, uh, the sons of the Harvey, they come in. I think that they're killing a bunch of the second sons at first. Um, a lot of it it's, I think it was the, the same woman who is involved in killing that, uh, what was his name? Uh, like white rat or something like that. I forget, uh, you know, uh, beige wombat. Um, I think so. yeah. And, and so she was, she was involved in that. I think that we saw her again tonight. So so yeah, these these uh, these ladies have gotten these unsullied into their into their charms. Like I can get that they get the jump on a couple of them that they're like distracted. But I mean, it wasn't like this them. was all of the unsullied got wiped out tonight. You know, the unsullied got trapped in you know this corridor. They got surrounded. Um, in in fairness to the unsullied, yeah, a lot of them got killed. But basically, every son of the harpy in that corridor ended up getting killed as well. So it's not like they're rock stars. Yeah. I but where are the sons of the harpies coming from? Um, well, they are obviously they are rebelling against Daenerys. These are the people that are not thrilled to have her in Slaver's Bay, let alone Marine. Um, they are they are not happy with this regime. These are the people that are probably are they you know, the former slaves? Are they the people that were hissing uh, during the execution? No, these are these are people who are pro slavery. Um, these are people who want the old ways to come back. Are they the uh, masters? Well, I think that they're if they're not the masters themselves, then they're people who support the masters. Um, these are these are you know they're not tremendous fighters, which we see tonight. You know they're not they're not the unsullied. They're not skilled. Their tactics are stealth and ambush, and you know catching you off guard when you're drinking or when you're 
you know, doing things in your private time. That's when they strike. And they do that because, you know, these shadow tactics are basically all they can do if they challenge, you know, uh, you know, Dario Naharis in, into a street fight in, in broad daylight with, you know, warning and everything like that. It wouldn't go well. Uh, so, you know, these are people who aren't like the fiercest, fiercest warriors. These are people who are fighting to get their old ways back and they're desperate, you know, and desperate times call for desperate measures. And so we're seeing a lot of these scare tactics and shadow tactics from these guys. That's kind of terrifying. And they know their city better than the Elden Sully. They know their city better than the Second Sons. So they know which streets to go down and all of that jazz. So it's it's a it's a tough enemy to fight. It really is. Did they have all the harpy masks ahead of time or did they make them up for this insurrection? Yeah, that's a good question. Did these just always exist or are is there like a group of people that are dedicated to just like pumping out new masks? There's a, like a harpy uniform. And is there like a site where I could buy one? <laughs> you want to be a harpy for Halloween? For Halloween. I'm glad you said for Halloween. Ask Not Antonio. Like- not like generally I don't want to be a son of the harpy, but for Halloween, I feel like that's a good costume. But okay, we're burying the lead uh, here a little bit and uh, no pun intended, but uh, Sir Barrison has gone. Is Grey Worm dead? Um, I don't know if Grey Worm is dead. Uh, he seems more alive than Barristan. Um, I, would, I would say if I were betting money, I think that Grey Worm is alive. Uh, I think that we haven't seen the last of Grey Worm. There's still business to, to wrap up with Grey Worm and Masande, I think, before he can go. Uh, so at the very least, I think that he's going to be alive long enough to have like final words with Masande. Uh, but I, I, you know, listen, um, is now is now a good enough time to talk about why this is this this scene is kind of mind blowing for people who've read the books? Well, I don't really understand, Josh, because you've read the books, you know uh, what's coming ahead of time. So I'm surprised to hear you say you're surprised about anything. Well, all right. So we're we're gonna dig into this just a tiny bit, uh, just because it's important. I think I think it's an interesting interesting thing to kind of note about this season in particular of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is usually super faithful to the books that are written by George R. R. Martin. Not always perfectly faithful. There are little deviations here here and there. Um, but season five has kind of been forecasted as the season where things are gonna get fairly noticeably different from where things stand in the books because the show has basically caught up with the story as it's been published in the books. Uh, we're, we're basically right up against the door, uh, both, in, both in the books and on the show at the same point in the story. And the show has done some things that have either tipped the hand of what's coming up in the books, or it has done things that the books have not done because they need to start making their own choices. And that has never been more uh, apparent than tonight. And, and this is, you know, if, if you're not interested in this sort of thing, maybe skip ahead two minutes. But in the books, Barristan the Bold is alive. Barrison the Bold is not dead. Uh, Barrison the Bold did not die this way because he did not die at all. Uh, so this is a big change on the show that they have decided to kill this character. Uh, a lot of people, if you're looking at people who are tweeting me tonight, certainly there are a lot of people who are very upset about this. But it's a, it's a huge, huge change from the books. Um, and one of, one of the bigger ones that I can think of for sure. Is there a precedent for this in the TV show where a character that is still living in the books died on the TV show? Yes. Yes, there is. Um, I, from, from minor characters to fairly major characters, without identifying the character, there is somebody in the season four finale who didn't make it out alive that is still alive in the books. So it's been known to happen. Um, but, but with this one, I don't know. This one kind of hurts. This one kind of hurts because this guy still had some really cool stuff to do. Uh, and they're, the show's either going to not do that cool stuff or they're going to give that cool stuff to somebody else. But 
either way, it's it's sad to sad to see Barrison go before his time. Well, it does sort of set up the path for Sir Jorah to get back in because you feel like that the both of those guys, and we saw this friction on the show before where that they sort of have the same job. So Danny doesn't really need Sir Jorah and uh, Sir Barristan both at her side. Well, for sure. And I mean, like, if you think about the the conversation, just to, to pivot over to the Jorah and Tyrion stuff from tonight, if you think back on on what they were talking about and how Tyrion's saying, like, look, you think that bringing me to Daenerys is going to get me executed and you pardoned. I think that the reverse could be just as likely. I think that you could still be in big trouble for showing your face again. And I might be the guy who looks pretty good. Um, so, so in light of Barristan being gone, you kind of have to scratch your head and wonder, like, Maybe what Tyrion said had some truth to it, but like maybe Danny's really gonna need a Jorah Mormont, you know? If if and it's still an if if Jorah and Tyrion make it to Meereen, like is Danny really gonna be itching for somebody to kind of fill that Barristan the Bold Jorah Mormont spot? And if she has actual Jorah Mormont, she might reconsider her position from last season. Yeah, the problem is that. Dario kind of also has the same job as Ser Jorah as being like the love interest of Danny and Dario has sort of filled that role pretty amply right. and right. among uh, other roles. Yeah. And he's, so he's that's still, really the problem. Like like Ser Jorah and Ser Barristan doing the same thing, not that big of a conflict. Uh it's more the Dario and Ser Jorah that conflict that's the bigger problem. Yeah, well uh, first, let's let's get Jorah to Meereen before we really dive too deep into this because you know they're they're far away. They've got they've got some some distance to cover if they're going to get there in one piece. But um, now, how far is Pentos to Marine? I haven't gotten out well, my map of the East recently. Well, so they're coming from Volantis. Volantis. You know, they had to they had to go to Volantos. Volantis. Volantis from Pentos, and now from Volantis they're going to Meereen. Um, I don't have the map out in front of me, but it's it's not short. Not okay. a short distance. It's a. It's going to be a little bit of a trip if they're going to make it there. Okay, so uh, Danny is going to have her hands full. Sir Barristan is gone. Grey Worm is uh, certainly, uh, at best, uh, life support. Yeah, not doing great. At at best, having a terrible day, having a really not great day. Okay, but man, what a badass! You know, he was he was he was the best unsullied out there for sure. Yeah. And still talk about the fighting pits and uh, whatnot. Maybe let's open up the fighting pits. Maybe the Sons of the Harpies could go do their stuff in the fighting pits and uh, leave everybody else alone. But is that the move right now? Is that is that the right move? Is it, you know, we're, we're going to give into these terrorist demands at this point. We're going to open the fighting pits, you know, after these people keep flooding the streets and, and killing everybody. Like, we're going we're gonna to give into them at this point. Is that the terrorist demands of open the fighting pits? I think that once you give them the fighting pits, then who knows what they're demanding next? This is why you don't negotiate with terrorists, mm -hmm. Rob, which I know is not always been Pocha Recap's policy, but yeah, but I kind of feel like really if it, like if we had like a you know fundamentalist like angry group, uh, and they were saying like uh, we want like a you know we want an ultimate fighting league, uh, I feel like okay, give them UFC. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, at least they have something to think about instead of organizing like uh, all of these attacks on the civilization. Man, it's really a shame that Khal Drogo is gone. He'd be great at uh, Game of Thrones UFC. <laughs> I think so. I think so. He'd be great. All right. Uh, anything else from Danny and uh, Sir Barrison other than our shock at this point? Um, I mean, it's, it's stuff that we can. I don't know if we want to talk about it now or if we want to talk about it. 
when we talk about the scene in Winterfell between Sansa and Littlefinger, but there's some talk of Danny's um, late brother, Rhaegar Targaryen, in both of those storylines I think is pretty interesting. A lot of Rhaegar um, talk. Rhaegar really being put out in front in our faces in this episode. Yeah, they're they're waving the Rhaegar flag in front of us, which is which is interesting stuff. Um, and you get like two very different perspectives on Rhaegar. You know, you get a fairly negative edit for Rhaegar in the Winterfell story, but the but the you know the picture that Barrison paints of Rhaegar here is super positive. He's talking about Rhaegar as a guy who would leave the Red Keep and and hang out with the people on the streets and sing for them, and he would donate his profits to the other minstrels or an orphanage or. You know, he's a big supporter of the arts, obviously, and the disenfranchised. Uh, Barristan says something to the effect of um, he didn't like killing, but he really loved singing. Yeah. Uh, so he would have been a good contender for like Westeros Idol. He would have done he would, would have done really well. Well, uh, yeah, there, there's like two sides of this story about uh, Leanna and what, you know, what really happened. Of course, we heard the stark side of that, you know, uh, Rhaegar, you know, kidnapped and, and raped her. But we hear from the Sir Barristan, you know, Rhaegar Targaryen is kind of like the Justin Timberlake of Westeros. Uh, <laughs> did, yeah. did he win over Lyanna with, with his song and his crown of, of flowers? And right. did they go run away together? Right. Well, it's, I think that this is, it's really cool that this is being brought up on the show because this kind of backstory doesn't really tend to, to land on Game of Thrones all too often. You know, these are the kinds of stories that you read about a lot in the books, and they, they don't always pop up. They're, you know, the past isn't quite as important on the show as it is in the books. But we're talking about, you know, for, for people who, who maybe don't remember, you know, the, the whole reason why the Targaryens are no longer in power in Westeros is because, allegedly, you know, this guy, Rhaegar Targaryen, who's the Mad King's son, he supposedly runs off, kidnaps... Ned Stark's sister, who is betrothed to Robert Baratheon, and it kickstarts this big rebellion, Robert's Rebellion, that ends up with Robert Baratheon on the throne, and Lyanna Stark is dead, and Rhaegar Targaryen is dead. And in the history books with, with the Robert Baratheon regime, Rhaegar Targaryen is not going to sound so great. He's going to sound like a, a bit of a punk. He's going to sound like a, you know, real, a real, you know, uh, he, he meddled with things, and he created this mess that got the Baratheons in power. And that's a pretty bad narrative. But then you hear this from Barristan, who is a guy that we, you know, rest in peace. He's a guy that we trusted. You know, he's a guy whose opinion seemed to have a lot of honor to it. And he's talking about Rhaegar as a very different guy. And this was, you know, Barristan was a big fan of, you know, the Targaryens. He served a lot of Targaryen kings. So he's not without his bias. But this is a very different picture of a character who kind of in, in Westeros from the people that we know have really demonized this guy. So... It's interesting to think about, for sure. It's a it's a very different perspective on a character that has up until now been kind of looked at as a problem figure. Yeah, and I wonder if there's going to be more and more Rhaegar talk uh, during this season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, I mean, it was great when Barristan was alive and could tell Danny all about her brother, but now that he's gone, who's really going to be singing singing those songs? So I think you know, if we're going to hear about Rhaegar more this season. You know, who's really going to be talking about him from, you know, the positive perspective that Barrison was talking about him? Probably not too many people that I can think of off the top of my head. But, you know, if Littlefinger can kind of speak about Rhaegar uh, the way that he was, which wasn't super flattering. And Sansa knows Rhaegar from from the stories, you know, those are probably more of the stories we would be hearing about Rhaegar. But I wonder if it's going to keep coming up. Um, he's a really interesting character. He's one of those. 
um, he, he's a fan favorite character in, in the in the Thrones community. People who've read these books and are in, invested in this story, they really like Rhaegar Targaryen. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. Okay. Um, there's a lot to cover tonight, so let's go, uh, let's go to King's Landing. Let's do it. Let's go. And um, Josh, I'm really uh, confused about what is going on, but maybe what else is new about, you know, Cersei is sort of uh, gearing up. We saw her with the, with the High Sparrow last week, and she is gearing up this, uh, this new group, uh, which is called the uh, Faith Militant. The and, faith militant, yeah. And so she is arming a group uh, which are sort of this uh, this other radical group uh, which is all about, you know, the really literal interpretation of everything going on with the Seven and they're pulling people out of brothels and she's basically created an army for the church. My right. question to you, Josh, is why? Is this all just to... Uh, take uh Marjorie's brother and arrest him. Is that is? I mean, this seems like a long way to go just for that, just to take Sir Loras out. Well, I think that she's you know she's she's becoming buddies with the High Sparrow. She's putting the High Sparrow in a position of serious power. She's giving this guy you know she's putting swords in this guy's hands and in the hands of everybody that he hand selects, uh, including Lancel. Lancel is one of these guys now. Um. And I think that, you know, Cersei is, you know, her back is getting closer and closer to the wall. Uh, she is, you know, threatened last week with the prospect of being sent away to Casterly Rock. Her son, who the king, um, is married now. There's a new queen in town. Uh, this marriage has lasted longer than a couple of hours. It's still going, so knock on wood. Um, but Tommen and Marjorie seems to be a thing that's working out. He seems infatuated with her. She is more and more getting Tommen's ear, and Cersei is obviously not thrilled about that. Not a big Marjorie fan. Um, so to to say that this is just something that she is doing to get Loras sent into jail, I think is simplifying it. I think it is. It's certainly a power move against the Tyrells. Um, easy to forget that she basically sends Mace Tyrell off to go to Bravos. She, you know, she gets and, uh, or worse that I, uh, I mean the fact that right. uh, she s sends uh Marin, Marin Trant Marin uh, Trant. That's, uh, you know, one of her, one of her hitmen yeah, uh, on this trip. I, I'm worried. I don't think that uh, Mace Tyrell's coming back, Josh. And he seems like a bit of an idiot, right? Like he just seems like he's fairly clueless. And if he, if his life was in danger, he doesn't seem like he has like spidey sense for that. No, he seems like, he, like if, if, uh, yeah, if, if Mary well, especially was like, hey, come down this dark alley, uh, Maester will be like, oh, cool, let's go down there. That sounds like a lovely plan. Yeah, because especially like his report was like, well, Iron Bank, they want, uh, boy, one tenth of their money back. And uh, really, uh, you know, the crown can't cover it, but uh, I guess we could float alone uh, to you right. guys. I guess I'd have to get, you know, my daughter to pay, pay us back. And, right, and but, but we could do it. Like, well, on top of that, um, that, that, that's nice, but I think you need to go off in uh, in person so I could kill you. Right. Like, oh, that sounds like a decent plan, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she, you know, that's a power move. She sends Mace Terrell off to go to to Bravos or or worse, as you point out. Very very fair observation. Um, and so he's gone while this is going on, and now she has, you know, she's she's got you know her her plausible deniability. She's saying like, oh, I didn't have Loras arrested, but you know she put the she put the the word in the High Sparrow's ear for sure at the very least. Um, but I think that you know saying that this is just her way of getting 
you know, Loris Terrell arrested. I think it's simplifying things. I think it's a move against the Terrells. I think it's a move to exert her own power. She has put this radical force into place, you know, on her own steam. She's the one who goes to Tommen and says, let's do this. This seems like a great idea. Uh, High Sparrow is now deputized. The Faith Militant is brought back after two centuries of being on ice. Um, and it's it's all Cersei's flexing. You know, she's flexing. She's the one who is putting this into motion. And I think for somebody who has been pretty powerless recently, for her, this seems like a pretty powerful move. And if she's aligned with the High Sparrow the way that she thinks she is, could be a very, very scary thing for someone like Marjorie. But I just don't get it. Why Why is Cersei doing this? We know that she's so calculated. I mean, if the people that follow the High Sparrow, if the Faith Militant, you know, are so upset that with, you know, Sir Loras for what he's doing, how will they react about, and we heard people like calling out to Tom and about how he's the product of incest. Right. Is, is is incest not as bad of a sin as some of these other things that they're the High Sparrow and his crew are going and killing people over? Right. You wouldn't think they'd like it, right? You wouldn't think that if they if they, you know, really heard those rumors loud and clear and if they, you know, looked into them enough and believed them to be true. Um, and look, you know, Ned Stark, a guy without interns, was able to unearth this thing by just looking around in a few books. You would think that maybe if the Faith Militant are poking around into that theory, they're going to find something as well. You don't think that that would go well. Uh, these don't seem to be the type of people that would be really into the incest thing. Uh, and you, you do see it. I mean, you see these people who are, you know, at the, at the steps who are, who are shouting at Tom and Bastard and Abomination and things like that. You're not really hearing it too much, I don't think, from the Faith Militant themselves. Regardless of that, though, the Faith Militant stand in the way of the king of the seven realms of the seven kingdoms, uh, you know the 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 man at the on the Iron Throne. They stand in between him and a meeting with the High Sparrow because the High Sparrow is praying. Um, how about that as a power move? You know these are you know true. Uh, uh, I don't give an f sort of attitude coming from from the faith militant towards the king. So maybe that in itself is a sign that Cersei thinking that she's got this power over this group of people. Maybe she doesn't have quite as much power as she thinks. I don't know. It just seems like such a miscalculation to me of why she's doing it. It seems well, very Rob, short-sighted. She has been day drinking quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, <laughs> she has been, you know, she's been hitting that red wine pretty hard. Um, for Cersei Lannister, you know, to have a half-baked plan would not be out of character. There's this great line that she, and, um, you know, this great scene that she has with Tyrion Lannister earlier in the series where she says to him, like, you're not half as clever as you think you are. And he spits back at her saying, that still makes me twice as clever as you. Uh, you know, You know, it's a zinger. It's a zinger. And he's, you know, there's something to that is Cersei's arc in, in a big way has been like, you know, Tywin Lannister, this accomplished guy, uh, this, you know, really the true ruler of the realm. Um, he is, he is, you know, got all of these honors. He's got all of this respect. He has this huge resume. His two sons, one of them is known as like the most badass knight in, in Westeros. One of them, even if he's not loved by the people or even by his own family, is undeniably brilliant. And then there's Cersei, who is talked about as like the most beautiful person in Westeros. But she thinks of herself as much more she thinks of herself as being as politically cunning as Tywin as 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 smart as as Tyrion as fierce in a fight in her own way as Jamie 
And that's really been her chip on her shoulder. Now's kind of her time to put her money where her mouth is. Um, and now is kind of the, the time where we have to ask, like, is she capable of all this stuff that she thinks she's capable of? Or does she have a really high opinion of herself and it probably shouldn't be so high? Uh, you've poked a few holes into her into her plan right now, Rob. I think that um, she probably hasn't thought a lot of that stuff through yet. Okay, uh, Josh, do you feel like uh, come tomorrow morning, we're going to read a lot of articles online that there's going to be uh, some backlash over uh, the Game of Thrones universe uh, being suddenly uh, intolerant of uh, Sir Loras being gay? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think um, in, in terms of a backlash. Yes. I don't think so. I think that it's, I think it's unfortunately, I think it's in keeping with what we've seen on the show so far. Uh, you know, Loris has been laughed at behind his back and, and, uh, you know, he's been the, the, you know, the, the object of, of a lot of ridicule of among the characters on the show for this stuff. Um, and I think that we're talking about a group of characters now who've just been empowered in a really dangerous way, um, who very fiercely reject all forms of sin, however major or minor, are going to punish you accordingly. And I mean, unfortunately, there are you know very, very devout people who interpret things certain ways that have these very strong feelings towards uh, you know people of Loris's persuasion. You know, it's it's something that's unfortunately really all too real in in a lot of cases. And I think that it's it's true to life and just as importantly true to Game of Thrones. I don't think it's out of character for the show. So I don't, I don't expect to see a lot of that in terms of backlash. I do expect to see a lot of conversation about it, and I hope to see a lot of conversation about it, but I don't think it's the show acting unfairly. I think the show, um, you know, in terms of how it's speaking about actual conversation in our world, but also being true to its own universe, I think it's, I think it's fairly spot on right now. It's unfortunate, but it's spot on. Okay. Um I know that we could probably uh, continue to go on and on about the uh, faith militant, but do you want to go to the wall? Sure, let's go to the wall. Uh, okay, oh, yeah, the wall was a was a was a doozy this week. Boy, it's it, it's a certainly, big melodrama going on. Yes, a lot of stuff going on there with uh, with melodrama. A lot of stuff going on uh, with Stannis and uh, Stannis. We I, I wasn't expecting the uh, Stannis is a good dad uh, storyline to show up tonight. Um, yeah, that was great. That was really great. Um, you know, this is this is a a world with such bad parents. Winner yeah. edit for Stannis? Maybe, maybe winner edit for Stannis. Listen, the you know, talk about winner edit for Stannis. The fact that like Littlefinger threw his support behind Stannis tonight, you know, things are looking up for Stannis. Um, I don't know. He certainly is walking away as one of the better parents on Game of Thrones. We've got we've had some really terrible moms and dads on this show. Shireen's mom is not much better, frankly. You know, she's, um, you know, got a lot of cruel things to say about her daughter. But here's Stannis, you know, giving her this big hug, basically taking responsibility for her getting grayscale in the first place. Um, him saying, like, you know, you spending the rest of your days with the stone men was no place for a Baratheon. Uh, he was great. His, you know, his daddy's little girl it was a really nice moment. I liked it a lot. It was a very nice moment. Good. Uh, so good for Stannis. But meanwhile, uh, that as as that's going on, uh, the Red Woman Melisandre is having her own meeting with uh, Jon Snow. Yeah, a rendezvous. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, dangerous John, liaisons going on in uh, there. Yes, absolutely. And so 
after John, uh, sw- uh, you know, signs the order to accept the men from Roose Bolton, and we do find out that John Snow does indeed know what happened with the Boltons. Yeah, he he is aware. He is, he is aware, aware of that. Uh, so here comes Melisandre, and she is, you know, uh, saying, you know, put your hand on my heart, and uh, she's naked. And, and by heart, I mean my boob. Yeah. And so he, here she is, and she's trying to seduce uh, Lord Snow. Yeah, Lord Commander Snow. Lord Commander Snow. <laughs> Call him by his, his full title. His full title. Um, yeah, this was, this was, I mean, listen, she asked him about the V card a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. now she's, you know, she's, she's making moves. Um, yeah, and, and John is, you know, really quick to point out, you know, before he even gets into the whole vows thing and the whole I love somebody else thing, he is like, is you sure Stannis is cool with this? Yeah. He's like, oh, <laughs> he doesn't need to know. I don't, I don't think Stannis is going to be into this. Um, but yeah, you know, Melisandre definitely has the hots for, uh, for John. Uh, it certainly seems. Yeah. And, you know, she did have the thing with Gendry and she did, you know, that was Robert's bastard. And now here she is with another one of these uh, bastards. So right. she does seem to have a thing for, for this. Uh, but she says to John, uh, there's power in you. Uh, two parts are a greater whole. And uh, she says that, that there's something going on here between, between them. Yeah, we got a thing. Don't you feel it? Do you feel the heat? Um, yeah, they, they, well, they would be a very beautiful whole, uh, the two of Whoa. them together. I mean, look, it's true. Apply the woes all you want. I think it's true. Okay. Uh, it'd be very good looking woe, but, uh, you know, I think, um, are we going to see that? I mean, John seemed to put his foot down pretty hard on this. You know, it's, you know, if any, if he's hard to imagine how he is going to, you know, get to, to what Melisandre maybe wants out of him after he's rejected her in this scenario. Right. You know, it kind of feels like John's, you know, he's made his call on this one. Seems like an open and shut case. Jon Snow says, you know, I have a vow and, I, you know, I love I loved another. I still love her. But here's where I think things get interesting, Josh. Melisandre says to John, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Yeah. That's Ygritte's catchphrase. Yeah. And she grins, too, afterwards. Like, she smiles at him as though, like, it, it, it feels to me like she's smiling at him like she knows something. Like she, knows. She, she knows that she's not just like dropping, you know, these words together as if it's, you know, just like an arbitrary thing that she's throwing out. Like she's the first person who has ever said this to him. Uh, it seems like she knows what she's saying and that this is going to be a most. She knows resonant. something. Yeah, she knows something, Jon Snow. But yeah, no, that was that was crazy. That was crazy for her to to bust that line out. What did you think of that, Rob? Well, does is Melisandre? We've certainly seen demonstrations of her power before in the past. Can she communicate with the dead? Is that is that one of her powers? Is she in communication with Ygritte? Is it like is it like Ghost, where it's like John could have sex with her, and it's like she's having sex? It's like he's having sex with Ygritte, like when. Whoopi Goldberg was kissing Demi Moore in Ghost. Yeah, Unchained Melody style. Yes. Does she have a penny that she wants to give to uh, Jon Snow? Oh my God! And is it going to turn out that um, the president from Scandal is responsible for all of this? Yes. Yes. Oh my God! That yes. sounds like a that sounds like a plot twist. That sounds like a pretty good plot twist. Oh I don't know. God. I mean, is she? Is she? Is she? Um, is she Whoopi Goldberg-ish? Is she able to, to channel the dead? Are we going to get a pottery scene? I don't know about that. I mean, I think that even if it's not 
that she can communicate with, you know, the dead or anything like that. She certainly has demonstrated that she sees things in the fires and she has visions of stuff and great intuition. So I think that, you know, even if we're not revealing a new power of hers, it's in keeping with what we have seen from her. Uh, you know, she's, she's been able to divine some, some key information out of, out of situations before. Um, so, so I don't know. It was, it was very cool though. Really, really great scene. Just a, a great button to that, uh, to that already uh, pretty hot scene. But to me, that was a little bit of a game changer because I feel like in this world, we've had a lot of times where, okay, well, this character died, so that information dies with them. And I guess we'll never know because now this character died. Uh, But if we're showing that there is communication that is going on between dead characters and the living through Melisandre, doesn't that feel like a game changer? Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. I mean, I, uh, how, how, how could I elaborate that on that any further? I mean, if that, is, if that is what's going on, there's certainly a ton of dead people on this show. This show, there's like probably more dead people than, you know, like dead people we care about than alive people we care about at this point. You know, there's a ton of bodies uh, in the wake of the past, you know, four going on five full seasons of Game of Thrones. Um, and a lot of them know very, very, very interesting stuff, um, you know. Even even like so let's just like take it for for John, for example, you know, he could have a conversation with Egret through Melisandre. That's great. He could find out some other important stuff. You know, the last time he hung out with his dad, with Ned Stark, he said that Ned said to him, the next time I see you, I'll tell you all about your mom. Uh, that never really happened because Ned got his head chopped off. But if suddenly he can start communicating with dead Ned, he'd be able to find out more about his mom and all of this stuff and where he came from, things like that. Um, so there's a lot of potential with something like that, whether or not that's where we're going, you know, who, who's to say, um, but it's a, it's certainly, it, that would be a game changer. Yeah. That, there's no, no way of uh, saying that enough. If that is the case, that's absolutely a game changer. Okay. Uh, let's talk about, uh, all things Dornish and let's talk about Jamie and Braun. Uh, Great team up. Love these guys. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Would you watch a Jamie and Braun movie? Yeah, they're like the Miles and Sawyer of Game of Thrones at this point. Like the Miles, Miles and, Sawyer. and Sawyer. Wow. Yeah, they're like the like the Miles and Sawyer cop show. Like that's how badly I want like the Jamie and Bronn spinoff. Like that would be so great. It would be so good. This this is a really great character combo for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's it's very it's very fun. So they end up coming up with this plan to go to Dorne. Uh, a little bit different than what we anticipated. We thought it was gonna be more of like a broad trip, but it was more of a boat trip. Boat trip? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of a lot of travel by sea. Um, yeah, not not really riding on horses down to Dorne. Um, but I mean, we got we got you know maybe we yada yadded their way to Dorne. But as soon as we landed in Dorne, you know, it really it got very real very fast because of the snake. Because of the snake, <laughs> that was terrifying. Why you- did it have to be snakes? Yeah. Josh, could you just talk me through what exactly happened with the uh, with the captain of the boat? So he betrayed them and then went to the Sand Snakes and they uh, did they did the thing where they buried him up to his head uh, and then let scorpions walk on his face. That's such a devious trick. Yeah, that's such a terrible thing to do. Um, well, what the, what one of them says, what one of the sand snakes says, um, and forgive me, I don't know all of their names off the top of my head, but, um, one of them says something to the effect of, uh, this guy, this, this, you know, Pentoshi captain was walking around and saying like, I've, I got some good information. Uh, I've got stuff to sell you. And they obviously they caught wind of it 
And he's, you know, going around being able to say that Jamie Lannister is in Dorne. The Sand Snake contingent, led by Ilaria Sand, who's, you know, the Red Viper's late uh, lady friend, she wants revenge on the Lannisters for what happened to, you know, the Red Viper and Ilya Martell and all of this stuff. She's got the Red Viper's fighting spirit in her. She wants to go to war. The Red Viper's brother seems to not want to go to war. He seems to want peace. He seems to want to just mourn his brother and keep things calm. If he finds out that Jamie Lannister is in Dorne, what he's going to do with Jamie Lannister is going to be very different from what the Sand Snakes would do with Jamie Lannister. So it behooves the Sand Snakes to capture this guy who can be running around saying Jamie Lannister is here, Jamie Lannister is here, um, and do with him what they will, rather than letting that information go to Prince Doran Martell. Yeah. I just feel like the Lannister bloodlust is a little is a little misguided. I know they're 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 hot blooded people. They're the worst. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the Red Viper was fighting for one of the Lannisters. Well, that's because Tyrion's the best. Tyrion's the exception to the rule. And look, if if they got to know Jaime, if they sat down with him, maybe they'd see the whole doing his sister thing wasn't so weird. And he's a pretty nice guy. He's a pretty guy. Mm. Uh, he's you know he's still like he's still good as a lefty. There's a lot to like about. I know Jamie people Lannister. want their pound of flesh and everything like, like that. You know, they don't know Jaime. They know the name. They know the Lannister name and the Lannister name in Dorne. It does not go along way in terms of gaining any favors as Bronn says you know there's this conversation before um the four dornish soldiers come upon them Bronn is saying like uh dude i don't think you realize how much people hate your family here um and it's not without reason you know the lannisters they sacked king's landing when the mad king was in power and um if you believe the rumors and i think that what we know about the show and what we've seen from the characters who were supposedly involved like the mountain uh i think we believe them uh, that the, and the mountain even confessed to it during his big fight with the Red Viper. Like, yeah, I, you know, I, I raped, uh, I raped your sister. I killed your, your niece. I crushed her head just like this, and he, you know, popped the Red Viper's head like that. Um, you know, this is all on the orders. You know, he's taking some creative license, probably, but it's on the orders of the Lannisters. The Lannisters backed all of this mm-hmm. happening. Um, and you know, their sacking of King's Landing leads to the Martells losing some very important people in their family. So the Dornish, they don't like the Lannisters. Uh, and as much as we might like Jamie Lannister these days, you can't blame him. You can't blame him for not being thrilled that a Lannister is on shore, especially unannounced. Okay. Um, just uh, real quick on uh, the Jamie and Tyrion stuff. We find out tonight that Jamie says if he ever sees his brother again, uh, he's going to split him in two. Right. Yeah, he did say that. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's very upsetting. Upsetting well, to hear. He's very upset. You know, Jamie's obviously going through, you know, some some mood swings of his own, you know, now that his his father is dead, who he didn't have the best relationship with to begin with. But the fact that he's dead because Jamie played a big role in, you know, rescuing his brother, uh, saving his brother, who he loves very much. And his brother turns around and repays the kindness by killing their father and causing all sorts of pandemonium throughout King's Landing and throughout Westeros. I'd be pissed too. If my brother did that, I love my brother, but I'd want to tear him in half as well. Would I actually mean it when I say that like I would I would cut him in half? Probably not because I don't have the physical power to do such a thing and I don't think I have that much bloodlust in my heart, but you never know when push comes to shove. Um but you know this could just be Jamie, you know, talking heat, you know, this could be him being really, you know, red hot angry and talking like that or maybe he means it. And if he means it, Tyrion, maybe stay where you are. <laughs> Stay with Sir Jorah. At least don't come back without someone strong mm-hmm. to, you know, 
to your family reunion with the Lannisters. Yeah, Jamie has gone Hugo uh, Montoya on Tyrion. Yeah, and uh, but unlike Inigo Montoya, he is left-handed. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, he is uh, <laughs> dealing with only five fingers and not uh, trying to track down an 11-fingered person. Oh, yeah. He would love that six-finger. He would like, love if he that have, extra If finger. he was the six-fingered man, it would be a step up for him from where he is. <laughs> Although the fake hand came in handy tonight. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Was that a pun that it came in handy? It came in handy. <laughs> yes. It was. It did. Yeah. It was uh, great. What did you think of the action sequences? Uh, I was on the edge of my chair. Uh, in, in Dorne or yeah, just in Dorne. The in Dorne. I mean, this was a it was a crazy episode for for action. You know, one of the more action packed episodes of Thrones that I can remember. But the Dorne one was really great. Um, it was it was very intense to see Jamie in battle for the first time. Really, you know, not kind of the bear pit. And I guess we should count the bear pit. That was that was something. Um, but you know, his first sword fight that wasn't training with Bronn. His first sword fight for his life against somebody who, if he lost, was going to, you know, kill him. You know, Jamie was fighting for his life here, uh, left-handed for the first time. And he wasn't fantastic. He wasn't great. This is supposed to be the greatest swordsman in Westeros, and he's, you know, um, I'm not saying that I would stand a chance against left-handed Jamie Lannister, but he's not, he's not who he was. Um, so the stakes were really high, and you know, seeing seeing him kind of afraid and panicked, and his back against you know the the steep drop off of that hill, um, it was intense. It was really intense. Definitely edge of your seat stuff. It was great. And so we also got to see the sand snakes. So for the first time, you touched on them. Uh, what was your take on seeing the sand snakes in practice? Look, um, it was really it was really sad for the Red Viper to go out the way that he did. You know, given that he had all of these things to accomplish, he had all of this vengeance in his heart. He doesn't get to satisfy it. He dies in such a gruesome way, you know, to the point that I, I don't know if we can ever really match that in terms of just like sheer uh, popping nastiness. It was disgusting. Um, and he was also just a terrific character. You know, Pedro Pascal was such a great presence on the show as the Red Viper. Um, that being said, if we lose him and in his place, we like gain these like his three badass bastard daughters, one of whom we at least have already seen in action is able to just like chuck a spear through your face no problem whatsoever i don't know if i want to say it's you know a worthy trade-off necessarily because i still love that red viper but it's it's a cool addition of three characters that hopefully will live up to their father uh in terms of just the the sheer awesomeness that he brought to this show so i i really liked their introduction i think that whatever's brewing with these characters could be very very cool on the show okay yeah it definitely was uh was interesting uh what was going on with the scorpions on the guy's head where they were wanting the scorpions to it's just like it's it's just like torture it's just them being horrible you know (laughs) i think that they like this stuff you know the the martells especially you know anybody well i guess they're not true martells but anyone who comes from oberon martell's stock probably delights in this kind of thing you know it kind of gets their jollies off Better or worse, uh, here tonight, well, the second week in a row, we'll do a Game of Thrones, uh, Sons of Anarchy thing. Uh, the, the scorpions on your head, uh, like in Game of Thrones or on Sons of Anarchy when uh, Clay and I'm not, I don't even remember who he was with when they went to the reservation and uh, those guys had a, somebody buried in the ground and then had ants all over the guy's face. Neither of them are great. Which would you rather have? I mean, I guess... It's like kind of like the which would you rather fight like one uh, horse sized duck or like 10 duck sized horses or whatever that 
you know, eternal. Have you heard that one before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you pick in that one, by the way? Uh, the big duck or like the army of small? I think it'd be duck. easier to get away from the big duck. Small horses. Uh, yeah, I think it's like the same, the same conundrum here. I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't, I haven't come to. I've been battling with this philosophical question for years now, Rob. I don't have an answer for you tonight. Yeah, I think I'd rather be in the position on Game of Thrones because I feel like you know, there's like two or three scorpions that like they might all just walk away. Like a thousand ants aren't going to go away. The fire, fire ants too. Right. Oh, fire ants are horrible. <laughs> All One right. time when I was a kid, I was very upset with my family when we were on vacation. I went away and I cried into a bush and I emerged from the bush covered in fire ants. Oh my God. Now you had something it to was, cry about. It was very embarrassing <laughs> on, and painful on many levels. Oh my God. All right. It was horrible. It was horrible. Let's talk about Sansa in the crypt. We touched on the Liana talk, uh, but some news tonight concerning uh, what Littlefinger's plans are at this point. Going back to King's Landing. Boy, um, I, I'm bummed out about to hear that because I feel like uh, it's going to take Littlefinger the rest of the season to get from uh, Winterfell to King's Landing. Well, you would think that, but then you'd be forgetting that it took like Catelyn Stark two minutes to get from Winterfell to King's Landing in that first season. I hope so. You yeah. know, when you think about it like that, like people actually could travel a lot faster than they actually do on this show. That's actually frustrating if you think about it for too long. Um, but maybe Littlefinger will use whatever magical, you know, super fast uh, ship uh, that Catelyn used to get to King's Landing as quickly as she did. Oh, so if they, he goes by boat, it won't be as bad. If he goes by boat, it won't be as bad. Okay. Uh, if he goes by horsey, uh, especially if it goes by an army of duck-sized horses, it'll be it'll take them a little while. <laughs> All right. So as far as Littlefinger goes, uh, the queen is summoning Littlefinger. What does she want to know from Littlefinger? I don't know. I mean, we've been wondering this since last week. You know, Roose like Bolton. This. Yeah, Roose Bolton intercepts that that letter um, that's meant for Littlefinger, and we, the viewer, still don't know what was in there. But it was enough that Roose wants to read the reply, um, and obviously, it's enough that Cersei wants Littlefinger in King's Landing for something. Um, what she has up her sleeve, I have no idea. Um, and Littlefinger, you know, whether or not he has an idea, you have to imagine that he does because he's made such a risky play here with Sansa just now that would he just walk back into King's Landing if he thought that he was at risk for getting busted on that? I, I tend to think no, but who knows? Maybe I'm overestimating Littlefinger. Um, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? She obviously wants something. It was it was whatever her reasons are were probably alluded to in this letter that we haven't read in Littlefinger. It's not telling us why something that's going to play out over the coming episodes for sure. Hey, well, Stan has kind of laid out his game plan here is that, you know, Sansa is going to marry Ramsay Snow, but Stannis is up at the wall. Littlefinger knows this. He's going to come down here. He's going to, uh, you know, take out the Boltons. He's going to liberate Winterfell. Sansa is going to be what wardeness of the north, wardeness, <laughs> wardeness of the north, uh, and uh, then ultimately she's going to be you know free to do whatever she wants. Uh, key line here, I thought, was Littlefinger says even the most dangerous men can be outmaneuvered. Uh, is that sort of a meta thing? Where is uh, really are we supposed to get the takeaway that that Littlefinger is the dangerous man that can be outmaneuvered i would i would read it that way as well uh you know that was definitely on my mind he is the guy who's attempting to outmaneuver everybody right now he is a very dangerous man um you know in terms of what he has put into play who he's responsible for killing who he's betrayed um he's absolutely a dangerous man who loves to outmaneuver people so if he's saying even the most dangerous men can be outmaneuvered and he's not realizing that he's talking about himself then he's 
sorely mistaken. As for whether or not that's where we're going, who knows? But um, you know, I think that the show definitely wants us to. I think that I think that the show, whether whether it's the show or or the viewers, I feel like you know we're kind of with Littlefinger with a character like that. I feel like we're always on the line of like, do we want Littlefinger to pull this off, or do we want him to get a slice of humble pie? Um, I think that this line is a line uh, that is in favor of the people that want him to feast on some humble pie, uh, who want to see Littlefinger trip up and fall. I think that this was a point in their favor. And we're going to have Littlefinger now uh, headed back. But before he leaves, he plants another one on Sansa. Gross. It is pretty gross. But, well, but what's going on? <laughs> it's pretty gross. I mean, what, what is going Is this a romance? For Littlefinger, for sure, I think, right? You would think that he's feeling this pretty hard. I mean, who would Sansa rather make out with, Littlefinger or Ramsay Snow? Neither. Neither mm. of them. Preferably neither of them, but at least Ramsay Snow is her age. Does Sansa or, ever get to make about? out with somebody that she wants to make out with? Um, I don't, I don't like, recall. Can we, can we run that. down the list of Sansa's kisses? Yeah, it's basically, I mean... I don't know how much she made out with Joffrey, but before he killed yeah. her dad, they did kiss once. That was probably good. Okay, that you have Joffrey. Probably, that was probably her favorite kiss on Game of Thrones. All right, let's add to the list. Uh, how about the Hound? That wasn't great. <laughs> that wasn't fun. I don't think she liked that. All right, how about Tyrion? Um, Probably liked it more than the Hound. You know, can I ask a question? What is going on with Tyrion and Sansa's marriage? Does that get disavowed when Tyrion gets guilty of the murder of Joffrey? Spectacular question. I have no answer for you. I have no idea. I have no clue. I have no idea what that means in terms of the legality in the in yeah, the. Is there divorce in the Seven Kingdoms? Like, I know there's a lot of, okay, she's a widow, but can you get divorced? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we well, I'll ask Antonio Mazzaro on the feedback show. These are great questions for Antonio for the feedback show. You guys should send in your voicemails about all of this stuff. Yeah, does the High Septon have to annul the marriage? Uh, is there a does can the Maester do you, it? I don't think you want the High Sparrow annulling this marriage. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be bad. I don't know. I mean, she's she's legally still married to Tyrion. I don't know what uh, what exactly the call is there. Yeah, and if they get a, a you know a verdict from the Home Office. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, and then the only other story we didn't talk about, and it's the same story that we ended the show on last week and started the podcast last week, was uh, Tyrion and Jorah. Right, yeah, we, we touched on it super briefly when we were talking about Meereen, but just to you know, kind of talk about it a little bit further, um, I think we get, a, we, we get some clarity on um, is Varys going to tag along with these guys? I think the answer is no, unless he's like doing really well at like being like seven ships back. Uh, but as of now, or if he has like a tracker on Tyrion, I don't think so. Do you think we're uh, done with Varys in season five? I can't imagine we're done with Varys. Can you like, is that just how we're going to? I'll just be so leave? mad. I'll be we, so mad. People love Varys. Like if you're going to get Varys off the show, you got to do it conclusively and awesomely. Like you can't just leave him in a brothel. That's such torture. Uh, so I would expect that we will see Varys again. But the question is how and when and you know how soon and all of that stuff. But he's not with Jay, uh, not Jamie. He's not with Tyrion and Jorah, certainly. Um, right now. So we, we were wondering about that last week. Is Varys going to tag along for that? Uh, he's not as of right now. We get a little bit of a sense of like what the dynamic between Jorah and Tyrion is going to be. Not very friendly. Mm. You know, Jorah is not great for conversation, which is a bummer because Tyrion is great at conversation. Yeah, I feel like Tyrion handled this poorly. I feel like he was a little like uh, a little aggressive, a little confrontational. Well, Tyrion's off his game. 
for many reasons. You know, he was in a box for a long time, and then he was in a bigger box for a while. Uh, you know, probably still feeling some motion sickness. He's probably got some, um, you know, he's probably getting some shakes from not having any red wine recently. Uh, and also there's the not insignificant fact that he murdered his lover and his father in the same night. And that wasn't so long ago. So Tyrion is in a rough patch. Tyrion's mm. in a rough patch. So if he's not thinking with his A game, uh, you can't totally blame him for it. Okay. All right. It was, pretty, it was pretty awesome that he was able to figure out that this was Jorah Mormont just on like a few visual cues. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Good job on Tyrion. He's not that far off his game. All right. Let's take in some questions. Let's bring That's in good. the questions from the viewers and the listeners of the podcast. And let's start off with Jason Burden, who says, uh-oh, Marin Trant and Bravos, Arya and Bravos. Are we going to see a name checked off her list this season? Oh, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, Marin Trant is like one of the four names that's still on Arya's list of people to to kill, you know, her to kill list. Marin Trant is still on there. Um, and if going to Bravos isn't, um, you know, uh, oh, what's the what's the breaking bad going to Belize, right? Uh, if, yeah. if going to Bravos isn't just a euphemism like going to Belize, uh, and if he's literally going to Bravos with Mace Tyrell, uh, that could be very bad news for honestly either one of them. You know, Arya or Mance uh, or uh, Marin Trant. Uh, you know, they're they're both pretty qualified soldiers and and killers and fighters. But you would root for Arya for sure. I mean, hopefully, if he's going to Bravos, we're going to see something there. That'd be cool. No Arya tonight. Were you bummed? No Arya tonight. Was I bummed? Uh, no, just because we've, we've gotten a decent amount of her in the last couple of episodes, so I can, uh, you know, I'll survive. It's okay. There's lots of really cool stuff going on tonight that I was pretty entertained. Okay. Uh, let me uh, take this one because uh, that it is long and I have the full, uh, the full copy of it here. Let's uh, get it. All right. Throughout the season, this is from Justin Sharkey. Throughout the season, we have seen Marjorie playing a really solid game. However, the news of her brother threw her off and caused her to bring up her and Cersei's relationship to Tommen. And then she had to backtrack. Is this a sign that Marjorie may not have what it takes to win against Cersei? Interesting. Uh, it certainly shows that Marjorie isn't just like the political terminator that maybe we were, you know, saying she is. Uh, we rarely see Marjorie in a moment of weakness, but we saw her in a big moment of weakness tonight. Um, whether or not that means she doesn't have what it takes to take on Cersei, I don't know. I mean, whose track record do you like better? You know, Marjorie, who's expressing a moment of weakness tonight because her brother has been arrested and understand you're going to be very upset about something like that. Uh, or Cersei, who has been rattled on numerous occasions in the past. So, you know, it's it's a for for my money, I think it's like an understandable look for Marjorie to be very upset. And I wouldn't say that this, you know, rules me out on Marjorie's political savvy. I think that she's still been pretty good. So her versus Cersei, I think, is still at the at the very worst a fair fight. I did like when Marjorie said, "Oh, I have to go talk to my grandmother." Please, yeah. more Queen of Thorns. Yeah, let's get let's get true. Uh, let's say hi, hi, Grandma. Let's get her back on the show for sure. Hi, Grandma. Hi, Grandma. All right. Uh, th this is from Renegade Music. So, did Grey Worm die too? And if so, is this the end of Phase Two of the Danny Small Council and the beginning of Phase Three with Tyrion, Ser Jorah, and Varys? And I'm going to take these Phase Two and Phase Three things as Easter eggs for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if you're a fan of the Marvel movies, you should listen to the Avengers podcast we just did on Bosch Recap. Yeah, Josh Wiggler has got the uh, Avengers Age of Ultron covered on Post Show Recaps. It's a full, uh, you've, you totally uh, reviewed and recapped the movie, right? That's a thing that happened. We promised it last week. We did it this weekend. Uh, two hours of Age of Ultron nerdery. Uh, very nerdy podcast. Yeah. So if you like the nerd stuff, you'll be very happy. Well, that's, so, 
That's fantastic that you did that. I know. Uh, that's awesome. The movie comes out Friday. Boom. Podcast. Yeah, it's out. Post show recaps. Go listen to it. That's enough. That's enough plugging. Let's let's talk about this though. Let's talk about uh about Danny Small Council. Is this the end of phase two? Is this the end of the you know the the Barristan and Grey Worm era? And we're shaping up for phase three. Getting you know Tyrion. Getting Varys. If Varys is still on his way to Marine. Uh, getting Jorah back in the mix. Are we looking to set up the new configuration of Danny's Small Council? Sure. I mean, it definitely feels like uh, the like. The Danny administration is bombing right now. Everything is going is going wrong. We need some new blood in there. So whether it's is it is it Sir Jorah, you know, something old, something new, uh, you know, something something borrowed. I don't know what that would be. Uh, is there one of the dragons blue? I think one of them's blue. Dario is oh, supposed Dario supposed I, to be blue, right? Uh, Dario Noharis. Yeah. Yeah, he's supposed to have blue hair. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. That's the new small council. A lot of people don't like that Dario doesn't have blue hair on the show. Yeah. What are you going to do? A, that's a nitpick. That's a nitpick. A I nitpick. feel like in the books, they talk about people have green hair, silver. Even even they talk about Rhaegar has silver hair. You don't see anybody with any of these wacky hair colors on the TV show. Not so much. Not so much. I yeah. can live with that. It's fine. Yeah. Um, let's take this from uh, the muffin that sucks. <laughs> Katie D. Uh, Katie T writes in, what is up with the Darth Sparrows? An army of goons doesn't seem like the high Sparrows style. Um, yeah, fair enough. I mean, we've only met the High Sparrow for like five seconds. So how, who are we to say that this isn't his style? Yeah. Uh, better forehead tattoos, Game of Thrones or Walking Dead? Ooh. Well, I think, I think this is more intricate. You know, and The Walking Dead is just W's. By the way, did you see uh, Tyrese going crazy on the subway this weekend? Of course they did. You emailed <laughs> me about it. You didn't comment. You didn't write back. I was traumatized. <laughs> I had nothing to say. Poor Tyrese. Or Tyrese, you know, a lot to be upset about. But yeah, um, uh, he should I, be I, in the high sparrows. He would be, he would be great. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that we just don't know enough about the high sparrow to really comment on whether or not this is his style. He's obviously had very pious, you know, he's a, he's a very pious man. He has a very strict interpretation of what is a sin and what is not. Um, and even going back to last week, his introductory episode. You know, he is only put on Cersei's radar because the Sparrows, because Lancel and a bunch of other people go into a brothel and kick the crap out of the High Septon, who is, you know, having relations with all these women. So and, and they strip him naked and march him in the streets and they keep hitting his hand so that he has to show his junk to everybody. So even before we met the High Sparrow, these were on the High Sparrow's orders. So his tactics already are fairly ruthless. So is this out of character for the High Sparrow to have an army of Darth Sparrows? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's in character. No, okay. Um, wait, you wonder if uh, I bet Loras Tyrell. I'm uh, uh, sorry. Uh, I bet Lance Lannister could sit down and have a pretty interesting conversation with the High Sparrow at this point. Yeah. What What do you think he would have to say? <laughs> hey, uh, do you know I used to have sex with my cousin, and that uh, she made me kill the King Bobby Baratheon? It's so great that uh, that Cersei has turned us into soldiers and given us all this cool power. By the way, I think she has uh, to join them. I think she has to become a, a in one of these uh, high sparrow people. Cersei should. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the fun. move. That'd be fun. I think that's the move. Just and then she could just confess everything and then be born again. Yeah. Uh, no, that's interesting. I think that's a good move. Okay. All right, because uh, th- uh, otherwise, I mean, otherwise, that's the big problem that I have with with her plan is that if she doesn't do that, aren't they going to say, "Hey, but what about you, though? Uh, aren't you a bad person?" 
Yeah, that's a listen, you poked a pretty big hole in her plan for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's one from Stephanie who says, uh, is Cersei going to have Littlefinger killed once he gets to King's Landing? Yeah, I don't like this uh, for Littlefinger. Yeah, but Littlefinger's not just going to walk into this without some backup. I, I mean, I have a lot of faith in Littlefinger. Uh, may, maybe too much, as I said before. Uh, but I don't feel like Littlefinger has done all of the stuff that he's done and just struts back into King's Landing without a, you know feeling decently good about his chances of walking out. Yeah, because um, but Littlefinger's brothels have seemed to have been the target. This is the second week in a row we've seen the you know all of the High Sparrows people you know coming in and really like uh, flipping over the brothel. Uh, right. And this is the second time we saw the guy who's like Littlefinger's assistant say, hey, this, is Littlefinger, yeah. this is Littlefinger's brothel. You know who you're messing with? Yeah, they don't seem to care. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Littlefinger's walking into more than he's bargaining for. Mm. But uh, I, I, I trust in Peter Baelish's ability to outmaneuver these people. I guess I'm not loving uh, High Sparrow so far in season All right. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see where it's faith, going. Faith, Milliton, High Sparrow. I feel like this is my... My least favorite story going on here in Game of Thrones season five. All right. Well, I like see, Cersei. We'll I, I like seeing where it's going with Cersei and I like that, that stuff. But uh, this, this whole uh, idea of these, this whole, uh, well, I, what, what, what am I calling them? The, uh, the high sparrows or is that right? You don't like Darth Sparrow? You don't think that was good? I want to know the right name. I don't want to get, There's call, a faith I don't want to get right now. Okay. Faith Militant. Okay. Call him, the, call him the Faith Militant. Call him the Sparrows. Call him the High Sparrow. I think you're good. Okay. All right. All right let's, let's take one from Robert Miller. Uh, Robert Miller writes in, do you trust Melisandre? And is this the first time Melisandre was being dishonest towards Stannis? Well, to be fair, Melisandre does not serve Stannis. She serves the Lord of Light. Ding. And, and that she thinks Stannis is a conduit to the Lord of Light. That's who Lord of Light wants. But again, at the end of the day, that's not her boss. Lord of Light is the boss. Yeah, he's the boss man. Stannis is middle management. Middle management. <laughs> but he's like he's like high up middle management. Sure, sure. He's chosen king, but chosen manager. Yes, chosen manager. employee of the month. Maester manager. <laughs> uh, Natalie in Chicago says, uh, "Now that Danny's right hand man is dead, uh, will she be happy to see Sir Jorah? And what will her reaction be to Tyrion?" Yeah. So what's your, what's your ultimate prediction on this? Um, let's let's say let's just play it out. Let's say that Jorah and Tyrion travel by map to Meereen. They get there happily in one piece in like a day, and Barristan has been freshly killed. What's her What's her reaction to seeing these two walk in going to be? Well, she's not going to be happy. She's going to be pissed at Sir Jorah. She's going to be pissed at Tyrion, and I think that she's going to be mad and say like, uh, "You." So that Sir Jorah, I told you that if you came back here, I would have Dario kill you. And now you come back and bring a Lannister. That I'm so mad. And then Tyrion's like uh, going to be like, "Hey, look, let me like, uh, you need my help." Right. And then win her over. Okay. You know, I maybe have some sort of demonstration or something like that. I I don't know, but you know, it's going to be tense at first. Sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think that this there's, you know, even if this has a happy ending, I think that there's going to be some some thorns along the way towards that rosy. Queen of thorns? Queen of thorns, let's hope so. Okay, let's do what? Uh, two, three more questions? Yeah, let's take three more. Okay. Uh, let's let's take this from uh, Mick Gurkos. McGurk USC. 
McGurk USC. I know how to read, Rob. Did you know this about me? No. Um, McGurk says, will tonight's carnage encourage Danny to get the heck out of Marine and over to Westeros? Well, you know, you know what I think, Rob. I say, get out of there, you stupid idiot. Go <laughs> home. Go home. Uh, yeah, I think that would be nice. That would be nice. You'd like to think that this is going to galvanize her to to realize maybe this whole slavers bay thing was not the best call. Yeah. Maybe I got some other business elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, terrible. Yeah. All right. Uh, Spicy Wasabi says, the Sansa seems receptive of Littlefinger's kiss. Uh, is she playing the game right? Uh, or or Littlefinger's got game, right? Well, Littlefinger does have game. Everybody knows this. We heard how he made Lysa scream. Uh, he works in the brothel. He is uh, definitely, uh, he knows what he's doing, Littlefinger. Num- number two behind Podrick Payne? Boy, uh, I think the Littlefinger, I think that Podrick has uh, natural ability. I think that uh, Littlefinger is more, has learned his trade. Educated. He's educated. Yeah. Yes. Um, what do you, what Did is Sansa your- like it? What is your read? Does Sansa is Sansa feeling this? Is Sansa into Littlefinger's advantage? I don't think she hated it. I think she feels like she has very few friends. I feel like she feels like uh, Littlefinger is her only friend. I, I feel like that she doesn't look at Littlefinger uh, and and hate him. It'd be really nice, you know, that now that Littlefinger is leaving and he's not going to be the only person that she's really having kind of confidential conversations with. It'd be great for her to have somebody that she can trust somebody that she can talk to at like some level of transparency transparency and be able to just like talk about Littlefinger. Like what is her true take on Littlefinger? I'd really like to hear that. I'd really like to hear her talking to, I don't know if it's like that old lady who said the North remembers last week when, when Sansa gets settled into her room in Winterfell, if she could trust that lady and just be like, you know, Littlefinger, not bad. He's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Or the other direction, say Littlefinger, not great. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. I would just like to know. I'd like to know. Sansa has like the uh, Stockholm syndrome right now that she's like uh, that, you know, she doesn't know, have any other friends and, and she's like her own, her only friend and, and that's right. it. And that she's like kind of falling for Littlefinger, I think. Maybe. Um, even if that's true, though, that sounds terrible. He's like the charming, like older guy. Like he always has good manners and, and stuff like that. Look, just compared to by the, like the other guys that that Sansa has been with, uh, yeah. that little finger is far and away. He's rich. He's older. It's like a Fifty Shades of Grey thing, Josh. He's like the Christian Grey. Of yes, Westeros. yes. He's he's is he mis- in the bondage. He's mysterious. Yes, he runs a, a whole whorehouse. Yeah, uh, that he certainly he, has a red room of pain in there for sure. Yes, he's he's rich. He's mysterious. He has land. I mean, he's probably got bad breath. Why? Why do you say that? He has. He's, just, he's such a mouth breather. He's just a bit of a mouth breather. Yeah, but he's very. He's very charming. He's yeah. very. Uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have gotten where he. He's gotten in life with bad breath. Dangerous guy, though. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know the dangerous line of work he's gotten himself into. Okay. And uh, last question. Take this from our Philly. Your right. boy. Our Philly. My boy, our Philly. Our Philly writes in. Do you guys think Bron was hoping Jamie would get killed so he could go back to his warm, soft wife and get the hell out of Dorn? Um, well, I don't know. I, I think, um, I think Bron wants to trade up. I feel like Bron's yeah. ambitious. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with his warm, soft wife. Uh, oh. you know, Lawless, uh, not, <laughs> we're not into Lawless. Yeah. We're yeah. Yeah. Lawless. Yeah. LOL. List. Yes. 
I think that Braun is uh, hoping that this deal pays off. Again, uh, much like much like Littlefinger, Braun is a betting man, and he's betting that uh, hopefully this is going to work out for him, and he can end up with a boring death. True. What do you want? A boring death or exciting death? For Braun or for me? For you. Um. Uh, boring death, right? Yes, and boring I mean, and boring life. I don't even want that a life exciting. Cra- too craven for an exciting. Death. <laughs> okay. All right. Speaking of being craven, uh, this is from. Jennifer Grasso, when is Josh going to talk about how he should have done SNL last night as Samuel Tarley uh, <laughs> uh, or Sawmill Tarley as uh, the question said? Uh, that's, his, that's his wrestling name. Yes. Uh, Josh, did you watch uh, SNL this week? Um, I am aware of what's being discussed. Yes. Uh, so they did on Weekend Update. Uh, they had the hottest couple in Westeros, uh, Sam and Gilly. That's right. I yeah. saw Yes, and I, I, I just uh, I know you saw just in case people didn't didn't watch it. It's a funny sketch. Uh, they did it sort of like where Sam and Gilly are like dealing with all the fame of being the hottest couple on Game of Thrones because there are no other are no other couples. Uh, would you agree? Are Sam and Gilly the hottest couple on Game of Thrones? Of course, I'd agree. Yes, uh, but what about what about Marjorie and Tommen? Oh, they're really hot too, actually. Yes. Uh, is that weird that I just said that about a kid who's supposed to be like 16 years old? He's 18 years old in real life. He's 18. Uh, what about Masande and Grey Worm? Uh, they're missing something. They're missing something? Isn't that making yeah. it more romantic? Uh, something's missing. <laughs> something's missing. Uh, what about Danny and Dario? That's pretty good. You know I'm a big fan of Dario's I think that's, booty. That's the number one. You know, but they're not in Westeros. Mm, okay. I mean, they've got Essos on lock. That's not a competition. Yeah, uh, they've got that under control. Is it S- Sansa and and Ramsey Bolton? No, <laughs> no. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Is no, it John and Missandei? No, uh, no. Melisandre. He's, he's not feeling that. He's not feeling it. I'm Boy. gonna give this to to my boy Sam Sawmill Tarly. I think Sawmill Tarly's got this. Okay. Sawmill and Gilly for sure. <laughs> All right, there you go. But yes, I did. I did see this, and I I shouldn't say more. Um, the the. Post-show recaps, lawyers are drafting a raven as we speak. Okay, there, there you go. All right, Josh. Uh, do we Antonio have a- Mazzaro is who. Yes, uh, Antonio. He's going to sue uh, SNL. Yeah, the greatest avocado on post-show recaps. Okay. All right. So, Josh, uh, we need a hashtag for this episode. What do we think? Did we just get it? Is it Sawmill Tarly? Sawmill Tarly? <laughs> could be that. Could be uh, Goodbye Grandpa. Goodbye Grandpa. It, okay. Uh, sure. I like the synergy there. Let's do it. All right. Kudos to Alex Kidwell for coming up with that in the chat room. All right, Josh, what's next for post-show recaps in terms of Game of Thrones coverage? Uh, in terms of Game of Thrones covers, we, we've been dropping his name all night. Uh, my, my boy, Antonio Mazzaro, he's going to be on the feedback show with me this week. We'll talk about everything that happened in this week's episode. You guys want to get in your, your voicemails, your questions, everything. Plenty of ways to do that. Postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. The voicemails are always fun. So definitely send some of those in. Uh, GOT at postshowrecaps.com is our email address that you can write into. You can also go through our feedback form, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Uh, and you can tweet at Antonio and I. He's at AC Mazzaro, two Zs, one R, and I'm at Round Howard. You can get your questions in that way as well. We'll be tracking them down. We'll be uh, looking in all the comments sections here on postshowrecaps.com and YouTube. We'll be making sure that everybody's well covered. Lots of questions to have after this week's episode. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, as we discussed a little bit, breaking character a little bit here on the on the Sunday Night Recap, we talked a little bit about the book stuff. We will dive into that in a hardcore way on the book club uh, this week with Terry Schwartz, which won't be live. We're going to record that offline. So definitely send your questions in. 
through all the ways that I mentioned before and just in whatever subject lines, make sure to mark uh, spoilers, Game of Thrones book club, whatever. Uh, but we will have those two podcasts coming up this week. So lots of fun stuff to talk about with a, a really crazy Game of Thrones. Okay. And of course, uh, we mentioned that Josh covered the Avengers uh, this past weekend. Also, I recorded the SNL recap earlier tonight. So we've got all our bases covered. Sounds good. Yeah. And uh, if you like these Lost Lives podcasts that we do sometimes, keep uh, keep an eye on your on your podcast feed this week. Plus, we've got Orphan Black and much, much more. I did a very crazy episode of the Seinfeld recap uh, this week. So a lot going on on post-show recaps. Uh, make sure you subscribe at postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes for the full feed or postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes for the Game of Thrones podcast feed. And we always appreciate your feedback and comments on iTunes. All right, everybody. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say on postshowrecaps.com. Have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.